So what I did to study, and this is the memory got pretty good because of this, is I would go, hey, I got to go to the library and do these projects for school. So he dropped me off at the library for like three or four hours. I would go to the Time Life books, the World War II books, pull those things out, and I would read as much as I could and memorize it, get my schoolwork done, and then go home. So I was sneaking it in, and there was no stopping it, right? So um, it was it was just in there. So I, I've been studying it, and I, I got crazy with it. I just loved it. It was cool. The history of it, the stories are are pretty incredible. And and I think, you know, my kids come home from teaching, uh, they get history in school and they're getting it watered down. And a lot of it's American hating, which I don't like, but they'll come back and they'll go, dad, this is what they taught us. What really happened? And I'll sit there and I'll re-explain it. This is what's really going on. This is the context of the era. And uh, they like that. They like hearing the stories. I said, honey, you got to realize when you look at history, you look at people like uh, Chris and, and Boone and all those guys that at one point in time, they were regular people that had to do extraordinary things. But there are certain people, they, their mentality, their fortitude is different. Battleline podcast, very special guest joining us, Tom Alabrando, law enforcement officer, served in SWAT and as a sniper, Blackwater security contractor that served with Chris and firearms instructor with IWI. Um, before we get into it, have to say Merry Christmas to all of you guys listening. Um, and I do always say on Christmas, especially any of you guys overseas, uh, you know, any of you guys training who, who can't be home for Christmas, um, whatever the reason, law enforcement officers, um, you know, uh, I know that you'll be hearing this the day after Christmas, but if you missed Christmas this year with family, with friends, hopefully you'll be able to do it next year. And we appreciate you guys out there keeping us safe. Well, yeah, I, I missed a few Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthdays myself. And uh, I mean, a lot of times it, it came together. It was even closer. Uh, you, the team came closer. And I, I enjoyed some of those times where I was gone away. Not that I enjoyed being away from home, but you really do find out how close that team is and those people you're around when you're working together on a holiday. So I know a lot of you out there probably are like, wow, that was a great great day uh, when you're out there working so i hope you're one of those if not you know well sleep on it you'll do have a better day tomorrow the sun comes up the sun always comes up so uh, uh but yeah thank you if you are out there working really appreciate it absolutely um i gotta remind you guys as always please wherever you're listening mm -hmm. subscribe if you're on uh, apple Podcasts or spotify we can leave a review leave us a review we have been entirely slipping off the rankings. I mean, there was a time where we were like in the top five in category. It's been a long time. And the only way that we get back up there is if you guys leave reviews. It takes like two seconds. Just leave us a review if you're a regular uh, listener. If you like what we do, subscribe on YouTube. Leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube because otherwise you're just a slave to the algorithm and you're not going to see the videos that you really like. So that's why it's important to subscribe. Um, before we get into Tom, Bubs Naturals, something I'm constantly drinking, great post-workout recovery, collagen protein, um, and really goes hand in hand with the MCT oil powder. And this time of year, man, with the winter, it's important to keep healthy, get your protein in, and also, um, yeah, get your gut, gut health right with the apple cider vinegar gummies. And of course, can't go wrong with the hydrator dye packets. Those are great. The lemonade flavor. Um, we love everything Bubs Naturals does, and, and this is great to have. As you launch the new year, many of you guys and are getting back in the swing of health after probably eating like crap over the holidays, like many of us do. Well, if you want to get healthy, you want those joints to stay healthy, you're getting older, 
take the collagen. Uh, the MC2, again, it's a great pre-workout, but if you don't want to take that, use the creamer. The creamer has some MC2 oil in it, but I actually intermix both before I go to workout. I'll do the MC2 oil. If I'm just having a cup of coffee during the day, I'll use the creamer, even though it has some in it. It's, it's more of a true creamer and you're not getting as much of a boost as you would if you need a pre-workout with the MCT oil. But either or, they both work well in coffee. They both taste great. And they work well in hot chocolate as well if you want to drink yes. some in the evening time. So definitely, oh, guys, MCT oil, collagen, and the creamer works immensely. And I use those things every day. Yep. Bubsnaturals.com. Promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. Bubsnaturals.com. Promo code BATTLELINE. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Mother, I'm gonna shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battle Line podcast. Very excited to have a friend and colleague of Chris Peranto on this episode, Tom Alabrando. And you have done a lot, man. I mean, I, it would be a lot to get into your entire background, but law enforcement officer, also served in SWAT and as a sniper, Blackwater security contractor and firearms instructor. So I don't even know where we're going to begin on things. Maybe some stories you and Chris have together. But uh, yeah, my first time speaking with you was just a few minutes on the drive here from my other job with Nidus, and yeah. I'm excited to get into all of that stuff from your background. Yeah, so um, uh, well, I don't know. 2004, I met Chris. We okay, I wasn't, we, I wasn't sure where you when you guys we met. Can, we or... can go before that though. We can talk about your oh, your your police stuff when you were actually were young and and in shape, you know. Back so in... yeah. You just called me. Fat. I worked out this morning. I'm kidding. You no, know, I know. No, no, I'm fat. I'm fat now. Right now, you're so. thick. You're you're thick. You're not fat, dude. You're I'm just, thick. You're thick. That's I'm big something. bone, dude. Um, I was always big boned. I think I was big boned in Iraq. Yeah, you, yeah, you were bigger boned, but you were still. You weren't fat. There were some so fat. Did, you guys, some fat dudes you guys know each other from Blackwater, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it. well, we can start, but I did. I, I don't know. You know, Tom, I, Tom, and I started at Black in two thousand four. One of the first, yeah. first early guys there. But you know, I don't know much about your law enforcement. We talked a little bit. We never got into it, so I, I wouldn't mind. And we get a lot of, a lot of young guys that listen to this that are thinking about law enforcement. So I do like to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. So and, and you're, you're firefighters. That's what I yeah. always tell. That's what I always tell them too. I said you don't want to go to law enforcement. You go so, be a firefighter. No, it was. It was, a, it was a, I think it was a different job back then. It was a little bit less. It was. Uh, 
It was good. I, I worked for a good agency. I worked for Prescott PD. Well, what, what did you did? Well, let's start there then. Let's did did because you're down in Prescott, right? Arizona, Prescott, Arizona. Right? Yep. Yeah. So you're down drinking, going to the bars, you know, going down. To- no, no. <laughs> I, I I was born and raised in Jersey, New Jersey. So how the hell did you end up? Okay, okay, let's, okay, let's get thing. that. Okay, so <laughs> where did you? Let's just start there. Did you grow up in? You grew up. I in grew Jersey. up in New Jersey. Yeah. That's so right. nineteen years, nineteen years there. I went to uh, college at Liberty University for two years. I went to Christian school my whole time. I was in okay. New Jersey, and then I did two years at uh, Liberty University. One of Jerry Falwell's kids, right? And yeah. uh, I'm not going to say it was it was it wasn't a bad college. I did Army ROTC there, so. I did two years of Army ROTC, and I had a mentor there, a guy named Captain McDermott. Now, he's a legit infantry dude. He was Ranger Tab, but he was not regiment. Okay. Um, so I I think the initial intent was for me to to join the Army, actually. And that was that was the plan. It was two years in. And a guy, we were doing PT one morning at Lynchburg uh, College, and a guy named Specialist Haymore hit me from behind and snapped my knee in two so just just because or was he just being no a uh, <laughs> we were doing or... we were doing pt every morning and okay. uh we we the captain decided we were going to play a different game um it was soccer and it turned into combat soccer combat soccer yeah that always does man yeah, yeah. turn into combat shit. soccer and the and the floor in the university where it was was this rubberized stuff and ah, yeah. my shin bone was straight up and down and the, my leg went this way and down and everybody heard the snap and um, then three screws, the army paid for it. The McDermott felt terrible about it, but sure. you got to remember 1989, 1990, uh, Clinton was downsizing the military. So it was like, yes. Yeah. We've told, we've spoken about that before. People were getting paid basically not. I, I think the air force in particular, people were getting paid to not serve, to right? Not serve. Correct. They were drumming out colonels to make room for the lieutenants that were coming in. So they were taking the top ranks and, 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 uh, essentially saying, yeah, you need to retire. And then uh, one of my guys who ended up getting out, he was uh, he was my roommate at college, but he was he became a lieutenant and he wanted to get into the uh, second ranger battalion, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, but he ended up getting a um, artillery slot. And I, I remember calling him a guy named Bill Adams. And I said, Bill, I said, what's going on, man? He goes, dude, um, I'm giving up my commission. He goes, number one, I'm never going to be able to, to get into the regiment doing what I'm doing. And he goes, it's hard, man. There's more officers than we know what to do with. So he ended up giving up his uh, his commission um, and then being an, a non-com and then ended up getting in, allegedly, in the regiment. It, my understanding was he ended up making it in. I, so, I was just going to ask you, I know we're so, we're going to get right back to this and I'm sidetracking to something else, but I have heard that same story from a ton of guys that we've yeah. interviewed, that I've interviewed in the past. And I'm wondering from your perspective, like, do you think that is possibly what led to things like 9-11, like, having this weak military it, paying guys not to serve. So that you'd have to talk to the guys that were in because they were seeing it from the inside out. I'm looking at it from the outside in. So gotcha. I don't know. I don't know that that's a, a legit perspective for me to do. I just know that it was very regrettable. I know the captain, um, I wanted to be a pilot. Actually, I wanted to fly fighters, but I was too dumb for that. And he's like, no, you're <laughs> helicopters. But he goes, but you understand terrain and you know when we were doing our ft axes at fort bragg and fort pickett and stuff like that he goes you really you have a you have a knack for this i think i think you should be infantry or whatever and to be honest with you i think i started liking the idea of sf and that was my idea but it didn't happen it doesn't matter it's irrelevant i was out right so now i got to figure out what i'm going to do with my life 
Um, I ended up going to NAU, Northern Arizona University. That's where I met my wife. Um, and I was a political science guy. Ironically enough, uh, and this is how things all kind of work together. I I uh, was starting, I was doing um, East-West relations. I did con law. I did a little bit constitutional law. You have to when you're yeah. doing political science. And I, I, when the wall fell, I could see that happening. A lot of us switched concentrations, and I went to Mideast politics. Now, I'd been to Israel when I was 18. Uh, I, was, I was 18, 1987. I, had, I was uh, like graduating high school, about to graduate high school in 1987. They had a volunteer program where you work with the IDF uh, for like, I don't know, five, six weeks, something like that. They, they pay for your flight. Uh, and what it did was it freed up regular line troops to go to the Golan Heights and the West Bank. So I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I'm 18 years old. I'm getting out of the house. And that was a that was one of those life-changing experiences because it's the first time I'm like leaving New Jersey and I'm seeing the world, right? The whole world was New Jersey when you're <laughs> up, right. And by the way, not the best world in the world. So um, I, I, I like went, parts of New Jersey. I went, I went to Israel and I, I spent some time with the IDF guys. And it was cool because I wasn't doing it as a tourist. I was on a, it was 33 of us. And it was funny because I wasn't Jewish. I'm not Jewish at all. Right. Um, there was two of us that went that weren't Jewish. The other 31 members were, there was one SF guy, believe it or not, that went. I remember that cool dude, really super cool dude. He was with us. We called him, um, Habibi, you know, which in Arabic is like <laughs> baby or something like that. But, it, Habibi, oh, hey, Habibi is kind of like, Hey, you're my, hey, little, hey, you're, my you're, you're my, you're my little, so, you're my little bro, man. You're my little bro. We called him Habibi, but he was this big dude. You didn't want to piss off, but <laughs> uh, nice guy. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. You called, that's what we used We call the big dudes Habibi. Yeah. He was <laughs> yeah, big. Yeah. He, he was, he, he was easy. very broad. I think he, I, I think he'd gotten out. Um, I don't know what group he was with. I don't know if he was fifth or third or seventh or whatever, but um, so I go to Israel and that was one of those life-changing moments where I'm realizing there's a whole other world out here, but I was living on base and on the weekends I was going with them home, you know, into Tel Aviv. So, so you're, you're, civ you're a civilian though. You're not an ROTC yeah. right now. Out, nothing you're, you're and you just went over like a, a just a, a program a just to go. yeah it's funny too because i had to go to the embassy there was an embassy annex in philadelphia and they're like why do you want to go you're not jewish i'm like well i want to go I, you know here at christian school you study it all the time you're like i want to see it i can't afford it <laughs> so how do i get there right so um and then uh it, it's funny because uh they they, they do things differently there their their military is kind of funny because they they allow their conscripts, right? They're none of them serve regular. And I sort of knew what I was doing with weapons and stuff like that. And I remember, and I'm going to show you a, a kind of a funny photo, but I remember I ended up pulling a guard post or two because they need people to keep people awake. You know, you need a minimum of two or something like that. So yeah. there I am 18 years old and uh, they hand me. Nice. Is, that Is that you? Is that you? Right yeah, that's me, buddy. Yeah, that's you used eight. to be. Yeah, that was when you were good looking, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're oh, just look at that. Show, look dude. at that. You get you are y'all. Oh, yeah. yeah. So had the, the, by the way, shoot that picture over to us because I, yeah. you know, and we can yeah. have Harold like blow it up on the screen. Yeah, it's cool yeah, yeah. it's, it's funny. Yeah. It's M16A1 with the hand guards that wrap. That's what I was <laughs> it's so old school, awesome. man. Right. So, um, but it is funny because they're, you know, doing all kinds of stuff that I probably shouldn't have been doing. Were, were you um, even like familiar with firearms at that point when they had oh, yeah. you do that? Okay. No, I, so I was a history nut at 10 years old. Um, my dad was a Marine. And here's the funny part like, 
he did not want to be, be military or police or anything with guns. He, he, he wanted me to be a pastor or something like that. That wasn't happening. All right. So yeah. that I was not interested in that. And I was studying military stuff from 10 years old and on. Like I'm a history nut to this day. I, I haven't stopped that. I can't stop that. I was a history minor in college. I should have double major. And, um, at 12 years old, he took away all my guns and all my, you know, my fake guns. They're not real guns. I was going to say 12 years old, you're <laughs> running around with guns in New Jersey. Like, holy no. shit. <laughs> I like, wow. Now I was making them though. I was a kid and I, there was a junkyard nearby and the guy knew me and I was building these things that looked like galils and stuff. Oh, that's cool. Scrap that, metal. And you know, I almost got shot by a cop that, but <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, so uh, I was building all this stuff and at 12 years old, he took it all away. He took all my books away and everything else so what i did to study and this is the memory got pretty good because of this is i would go hey i gotta go to the library and do these projects for school so he dropped me off at the library for like three or four hours i would go to the time life books the world war ii books pull those things out and i would read as much as i could and memorize it get my schoolwork done and then go home so i was sneaking it in and there was no stopping it right so um it was it was just in there so i i've been studying it and i I got crazy with it. I just loved it. It was cool. The history of it, the stories are are pretty incredible. And and I think, you know, my kids come home from teaching, uh, they get history in school and they're getting it watered down. And a lot of it's American hating, which I don't like, but they'll come back and they'll go, dad, this is what they taught us. What really happened? And I'll sit there and I'll re-explain it. This is what's really going on. This is the context of the era. And uh, they like that. They like hearing the stories. I said, honey, you got to realize when you look at history, you look at people like uh, Chris and and Boone and all those guys. At one point in time, they were regular people that had to do extraordinary things. But there are certain people that their mentality, their fortitude is different. And they push themselves further and they want to do it. They There's something, I don't know if it's genetic nature or nurture. That was not something that was instilled necessarily on me, I know that I ended up, you know, I, I go to NAU, I, I get out. I'm like, what do I do with my life? I end up, well, I got to kick a door in somewhere. So I become a cop, right? So, and the idea when I became a patrol officer was I wanted to be a SWAT guy. So as soon as I show up, I'm like, how do I get on SWAT? And the way the agency did it at the time is um, you couldn't do it in one or two years. You had to be, they, they wanted to know who you were. So you have a reputation that develops in the agency, you know, you know, are you, are you dealing with calls? Well, and it was funny because I was from Jersey and then I was a cop in Arizona. So within one year of being a cop in Arizona, I get sent to a school and it was um, communication for law enforcement officers. <laughs> so this was not like a, Hey, this is a great school for you. It was more like, hey, you're not communicating with Arizonans well. You're still from Jersey. So you need to go to this school and we're going to sort you out, right? We need to make you a little bit more, uh, less Jersey, more Arizona. So I had to learn how to translate, you know, the way I was to, to New Jersey. So I go to this school. Say, saying like, use guys doesn't work in Arizona? <laughs> no. I was like, hey, listen here, knucklehead. Come here for a second. You, can't, you know, no. You can't, you can't call everybody an ass clown, dude. You can't say You can't say ass clown. You can't put it in the report. You can't, you know, none of that. So, and they don't even have Taylor Ham. No, but it it was it was kind of funny though because occasionally you would get some guy from New York in Prescott, Arizona, and the, the guys from Arizona are like, 
I don't, you know, they're they're getting rolled over by the guy. And I'd walk up, hey, come here, knucklehead, sit down. <laughs> okay, well, you know, so you, you can't talk to them like you're talking to them. It's not going to work, right? Everybody has their own method of communication. Yeah. But it's funny because I go to this school and it was in, um, God almighty, Apache Junction. It was an Apache Junction sergeant, but it was outside of Phoenix. And he shows up and he goes, how many do you hear? Because you want to be, there's like 20 of us in there. We all look like we're in the principal's office. <laughs> Hey, how many want to be in here? We're like, you know, none of us, right? You know, no hands go up. He goes, okay, I'm going to tell you how to talk to people. Let them know that they screwed up and they're going to thank you for it. And then I'm going to tell you how to deal with your lieutenants. And I'm really like, I must know this power. Show me this, you know? Yes, please tell me. It was a great class. It was good in how to communicate with people. And then I ended up going to interview and interrogation school. And that was great, you know, and that all worked. It actually works in communication. And it sounded like you were like around Obi Wan Kenobi and Yoda, dude. It's like these are not the drugs you're looking for. No, these aren't the drugs you're, oh, you're looking, for. buddy. It changed my life because I went out on the street and there was like, you know, I had, I would be the guy telling them, "Hey, you effed up. You need to get the hell out of here." And they're not complaining on me. They're thanking me, but they're, they're thanking, yeah. They're complaining on my partner. I'm like, he's like, I didn't even say anything. How did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It was a mystery stuff. You know, they they teach you that you had to go to the school, right? So anyway, I ended up uh, going to instructor school and I had an affinity for farms. I loved it. And I studied, it was, we had a guy, a couple guys that were in Arizona that I was, I uh, was familiar with. They had a lot of foreign weapons and World War II type weapons, German, all that stuff. I would go out shooting with him all the time and, and or go to his museum at his house. And I wanted to know everything. It was, whether it was a, you know, a Schmeitzer MP3840 or a, you know, a Swiss K or whatever, and again, I'm studying this stuff. I never stop, you know, the entire time. Um, and he has a lot of foreign weapons. So I, I get into that big time. I don't, I don't have access to like an 18 Bravo or 18 Bravo to go to foreign weapons school or something like that. But I will find everything. I will tear it apart. I will shoot it and understand it, right? Anyway, I end up going to a instructor school and I become a firearms instructor for the agency. In three and a half years, I get on SWAT, um, which was... Usually it was five years. They wanted to see you at five years, but he was like, well, he's making good decisions. When he needs to fight, he fights. When he doesn't need to fight, he doesn't fight. So he's, you know, he's, he's got it. Uh, so I, and I was going to schools on my own. The agency didn't pay you to go to a lot of schools. They were kind of cheap on that. So I was going to sniper schools. I went to one in, uh, it was in uh, Camp Pendleton Marine Corps school. I had to pay for my way there. I had to hand load ammunition. They wouldn't give me the ammo. I mean, it was ridiculous. And the Marines took pity on me. And uh, I went to the School of Infantry, the San Onofre side of the base. And they let me stay in these old Quonset huts, like from World War II. Yeah, yeah. Nobody was in them but me. Uh, <laughs> that's not, that's it, still, that's pretty cool, though. That is, I've was, done that before. That is pretty very cool. cool. Oh, yeah. it was wonderful. So, you know, me and the ants, I could see all these red ants crawling everywhere, whatever. <laughs> but they let me live there because I couldn't afford a hotel or any of that stuff. I'm driving my truck and Marines were cool as hell, right? So we went to, it was between their, their um, you know, they were teaching state platoons at the time. They didn't call them state platoons anymore. Matter of fact, I don't think the Marines have a sniper program at all uh, anymore. I think they had their last class this year. So they, but, uh, they, they're just all part of recon, force recon or Raiders or state platoon. The, those guys are the sur surveillance target acquisition. That's your snipers. That's your jar. Hand. That's your sniper guys. That's, they don't have what, those anymore. That's what they're, Boone, they're Boone was. Yeah. It's yeah. MARSOC. And then, then it's uh, for, uh, force reconnaissance is all they have now. Okay. So they, they used to have state platoons. Yeah. And, yeah. But not anymore. So they ended it. But when they did, there was a guy named Gunnery Sergeant Skiles there. 
and a bunch of Marines and we were training with them. It was like a six day course and it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was loving life. I was getting up and would well, actually PT in the morning a little bit, you know, trying not to be a fat bastard. I'm watching all these guys running around. It's got me motivated. There's big old CH 46s flying over every yeah, day. That's cool. Yeah, no, it was badass. And then we'd go out to their ranges. We do stock and exercises, Kim's games, the whole thing. And I loved it. I remember calling my wife from a payphone, so I don't have a cell phone here. Right? This is I'm old. Yeah. No, right here. <laughs> so I call her from a payphone down there, and uh, she's she's talking to me. She's like, "How do you like it?" I'm all excited and stuff. It was 14 hour days. I'm tired, but I'm having a blast. And she's like, "Are you coming home?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> like, kind of like it here. It's kind of cool, you know. So I was digging it. Um, but I, I got through a bunch of the courses and the, the weird part was, um, at, at about three years on the job with the SWAT team, they needed a new instructor for SWAT. And there were guys that were senior to me that were training. Uh, and they said, uh, the sergeant at the time goes, no, I want you to train us. You're going to be setting up the training and doing it. So I ended up training the team, training the, the sniper cadre. And then I was teaching privately as well. How, um, how do you feel you got to be like that good of that level so quickly? I think it's immersion. I think it's a matter of, I was living it, breathing it. I was going out and I'll tell you right now to this day, I still, um, I just, I was a student last weekend. I got to be a student, right? You're never stop learning. Yeah. Uh, but it's a matter of applying yourself. And I, I have to admit, I went to a, a bunch of really good schools um, and the best, some of the best instructors I know uh, one of the SEALs that I taught with all the time, uh, sniper stuff at Blackwater, um, you go to a school on human learning. You don't go to a school on firearms. Matter of fact, they find your firearms instructor. They're like, you can teach a whole bunch of stuff. You can't teach firearms. I don't want to hear a damn thing about a gun, right? So, and they would make you step outside your bubble. And I got news for you. It worked really well. I loved it. It was about how people understand things, not guns, how people understand things. And then there's a little bit of uh, understanding on, uh, you know, athletic learning, right? You look kinesthetics, right? How people integrate uh, physical skill sets into themselves. Shooting a weapon, in all honesty, is the same thing as like swinging a baseball bat. It's a physical skill set you have to repeat over and over again to get good at. It's just different, right? You know, it has recoil. That doesn't have recoil. It just swings, right? So, but it's the same kind of idea. Once you uh, establish those concepts, um, that makes the fire or whatever you're teaching really good. I was teaching at one point in time at the Academy. I was a um, recruit training officer out there. And then I would teach the lead firearms instructor out there. Um, and I was teaching the kids uh, stuff about fourth amendment, search and seizure related things. Cause again, political science background, right? So I understand some of the law part of it and I would get with the attorneys and what they were struggling with out there was um, translating Latin to street, right? So you can get a lawyer in there and teach cops and that's fine. It's very abstract, but you got to apply it to what they're doing. Okay. You got to create that okay. scenario and go, okay, this is case law. I'm going to give you a situation. I want you to tell me how you think about this. It's it's, it's a critical thinking is what it is. I can't think for you. And I would argue the other side, they had no clue if you know, are they doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? It's about making them think. And when you're teaching your students, even in firearms and stuff like that, and if you ever come to a class, a lot of times I'll say, hey, it's one of the things I say in class. If you do something that's tactically correct, that's safe, and it makes sense for what your situation is at that moment, 
no matter what the drill is, I'll never dog you. You're doing the right thing. I want you to think independently. Mm -hmm. So with the cops, I'm trying to get them to think about legal decisions independently of me. Don't, don't just look at case law. Think about working through the problem on your own without me sitting over your shoulder, whispering in your ear, like some kind of, you know, law fairy or something like that. Right? <laughs> so they have to figure it out. Then when you get into the, the shooting aspect or the tactical aspect, it's the same thing. You got to whisper in their ear. The tactical fairy isn't here right now. <laughs> what problem do you have in front of you? Yeah. Aside from the weapon has run dry and you haven't recognized it. Right. So it's, it's, it's having them sort through their problems and then, creating some degree of stress inoculation. So they deal with their problems. You want that stress. Do, do, you know, I, I, and this was, I caught from you in the beginning. I think it's still an issue today. Um, a lot of law enforcement don't go to courses on their own. The no. ones that are very, because it, 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 it is, it's expensive and the, the departments won't pay for it generally, unless you're at a bigger department, even some of the bigger ones. I didn't know that, that you did a lot of that on your own and your own money. Are you still seeing that, that, I mean, I I I, I, I hear some law enforcement in, but it's never from their department. They come in and they pay for it on their own and they're trying yeah. to better themselves. Even you're doing that 30 years ago. I still see that going on today. Do you still see that going on today at it, IWI? It doesn't change. It's very rare. You get somebody who shows up in a course that's the agency's paying for it. Um, it's very rare. And I'll be honest with you. Part of it has to do. It's twofold. It's a budgetary restriction, especially yeah. now because, um, you know, defund the police, right? Yeah, yeah. Good job. Awesome. They're, they're here to make decisions and lethal force options and drive a car and deal with domestics, but let's train them less, you dumbasses, right? Yeah. Um, so part of it's that. Part of it is a lot of officers, especially in firearms training uh, in particular, I remember this, that they're just not interested in it. I had one guy tell me, a cop tell me this, um, and it's the wrong mentality. It's hey, if I didn't have to carry a gun, I wouldn't. Like, I don't even want to be here right now. I'm like, mm, yeah, you're a victim in uniform. You're the yeah. wrong guy for the job. And right now they're trying to fill boots. I get it. And there are a lot of good people uh, that are out there, uh, but it's hard to get them now because there's such a negative view of law enforcement. Now, on the training side of it, a lot of it had to do with the agency just being cheap. You know, they have a budget. They're trying to stay inside of it. Um, they don't have the funds for it. So they're, they're not pushing them where they need to go. Bigger agencies like Phoenix, uh, or, you know, the state agencies, they have the funds for that. There's right. a lot. Um, so you'll see those guys more, but if you get a, a mid-sized department, you know, uh, anywhere from 80 to hundred or 120, you saw a lot less of them, but there's a lot that just aren't interested in it. Um, either. And, and, and that's a shame because that's saving their own life or saving somebody else. Is that, is that a bravado thing that they're not interested in it? Hey, I already, I know how to do this. I, I have the badge here. I am. I'm here. Here's my gun. I know how to shoot this thing or, or what, why is that? Is there no I, interest in saving your life and protecting your life and protecting others? Life? I, I think that's, they that's feel like they've me. got enough or it's that mentality of it's not going to happen to me. Happen to you. Gotcha. And it's funny because another thing I study is uh, there's something called violent offenders. It's a report that comes out every 10 to 15 years from the FBI. Um, and it has to do with violent conflicts between officers, agents, officers, and suspects. And they interview the suspects, uh, which I, I think is probably the most revealing thing ever. You know, the officers are, well, he didn't seem like he was, you know, going to fight or whatever. They're misreading the situation. That's the number one thing, overconfidence, right? That's, that's the number one thing that gets an officer. Um, 
but the 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 uh, assailant, the suspect, will tell them point blank, "Yeah, I sized this guy up. He wasn't looking at me. He wasn't paying attention to me. I I could take him. I felt like I could take him, so I did." That's the number one thing you hear the the suspects say about that kind of thing. I don't think that changes. That's human behavior. That's a uh, that's a I don't care if they're you know a, a terrorist trying to pick a target and trying to find out who's soft, who's who's trained up, who's reacting well, or you know, and I, I hate to relate it to, you know, like uh, back in the old day, Mutual of Omaha, you know, the guys that were going out in nature and watching animals or, you know, antelope getting killed or something on the plains. But uh, it's very much that same thing. It's the lion looking out and going, OK, which one's weak? Which one's not paying attention? Oh, that's the one I'm going to take out. It's 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 in our nature. It, there's no way around that. It sounds like and. It, I know this and I'm just confirming it and I want, you know, but just from doing the job so long on, on no end stuff I did, but um, it's, it's just weakest link again. It's it, they're looking for the weakest link, the weakest link. Oh, yeah. And that's what they're going to hit. And the bad guys are more mentally prepared than the good guys. So yeah, the, the, the hit ratio and this, again, you can't, it's, you can't get statistics overseas on shots fired and percentage sure. hits and stuff like that. Right. There's no, there's no criminal team to come out there and do that now, but well, long- unless, unless you're with Blackwater and Obama's a president and, and you know, so, all of a yeah, sudden the yeah, FBI yeah. comes the in FBI and, and, and fucking takes every, that's, they'll do that. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll get Paul, Paul Sloth, uh, Sloth on the phone or um, who's our other guy we want to get on from the Nisha square. I know him too. And I can't remember. His oh, oh I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the main guy is in Raven, um, Raven 22, Raven 22, Raven 22. Guys. Yeah. yeah. It, because one one of those guys, it's funny that you're putting me on the spot here. Because I, don't, I know I don't Paul, remember Paul's Paul's the one that I because he's he's the one that I'm friends with. Paul's a great guy. And sorry, sorry, Tom, don't don't lose a train of thought because I want I do no want no, no no you're, no. You're no. But I was gonna say there is there is one guy though that actually wants to come on and that we're gonna have on who, Nick, who was Nick. related to that incident. It's, it's okay. Nick. Nick. Okay. Gosh, Nick. Sorry, buddy. I know you too. I know both of those guys. Like, but we'll make it here, happen. That'll here. that'll be in early in the new year for yeah, sure because we've been wanting to do that for a while. Yeah, but, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Long and short of it is, uh, bad guys have a higher hit ratio than than cops do. I, you know, and I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know <laughs> that till you guys, till one of your guys that came in, and I'll have guests instru- and you are coming in. I just don't. It, we've been working on that forever and bringing Tom into Fort Scott for I don't know ten years now. Ten years. Well, we've been, <laughs> <laughs> I keep I keep putting because I only do like four or five courses a year, but. Oh, I know. I, I'm I'm looking. We're not going to do in the. It is, we don't. You don't want to be out here in the winter time. I mean, oh, it's no. not. Hell. It's not bad. It's not like Omaha, but it's still a little chilly. But we'll wait till May after tornadoes to roll through, and then we'll we'll hit it May. And we're, but I always get guest instructors to come out, and if I have a law enforcement guy, that's I didn't know that till when he. And I can't remember remember who it was, but he said the same thing, and I was like, yeah. what? I didn't. I didn't know that. You look at the FBI statistics. There's two reasons for that. And uh, one is that they're acting, not reacting. So um, that's part of the um, kind of the kill chain is being the aggressor just because they're aggr- the aggressor. You're the aggressor. It's always better. That was the one thing I liked about SWAT. That was the one thing I liked about when I switched out of Templar four and went to two. Sure. URF. I'm like, okay, we're putting the hurt on somebody. Yeah. If something yeah. happens, I, I don't like being reacting. I like to act. Yeah. And when I was on SWAT, I was acting. I felt great. Okay. He's in there, that knucklehead's in there. We're going to kick in the door and we're going to do whatever we're going to do, right? It feels good. Um, but reacting, uh, acting, you're always, you know what the plan is. You know where, 
the distance is going to be. And they'll tell you that. Hey, I waited for him to get to a certain point where I felt I could hit him. Then I acted. And now you have to react. And you're going, you know, from condition yellow, potentially the officer might be yelling out orange. And he goes right to black. Yeah. And he doesn't, he does, he bypasses everything that he needs to, to actually start dealing with that problem. But isn't that, that's where the training is so fucking important that they're telling me that they don't want to go to, because that's what prepares you for that. If you have to be reactive, so you don't go into the black or am I, or am I just speaking? I mean, I know a little bit, a tad here or there, but I, I, that's why you, (laughs) that's why you fucking train. And, but that's why I, I want a law enforcement guy that's been in it and you've been in the shit in law enforcement and I've worked with you too. So I know, you know, your head's right to say that same thing because it's disheartening to see that, that, yeah. that, that the caliber has gone, I don't want to say gone down, just maybe it has. I, I, I'm, I don't want to speak off the cuff because you know, that, that, that area a lot more than I do, but I, I just, I have, I, I get the feeling like it has the caliber or the least the person is not trained enough to be at the levels that may they, maybe they were in, in the past. There's a point where I honestly believe, I mean, they're trying to get boots. Like, yeah, bars, yeah, right. Yeah. So the problem is, is I don't, and they're, they're trying, we would drum people out of the Academy. You know, they, they're not making it. They, you know, making bad decisions, whatever you're gone. Um, there were, not our agency, but there were some agencies that were discouraging military. They didn't want military person. I would, I would want the military person first. They got maturity. They've been around. There's discipline there. I, I want that guy, right? Oh, you're infantry. Yeah, I'll take you, right? Absolutely. You're used to stress. This is no big deal for the most part, right? So, um, but I think they were looking for the calmer, gentler, kinder, you know, rainbow hand officer. And there's a time to do rainbow. I'll be honest with you. I was not, uh, when I was a cop, I was not big. You know, if I, if I could avoid a fight, I would. Oh yeah. yeah. If I could talk the guy down from the, you know, the edge and go, Hey man, do you really want to do this? Let me tell you how this ends. Cause you can't, you can't wrestle everyone all your life. It's just well, not possible. You're going to you get really fucking can. hurt. And, and <laughs> it's not, not the best way to do your, you're, you're yeah. a, a peacemaker, a peacekeeper. Right yeah. now. There are some people though, that just want to fight. There's no way around that. There's no talking to them. They're either on something or they're nuts or they're just mean. We You, you come across that, right? Um, and you're going to fight. And what you got to do at that point when when that switch gets with hit is you got to fight. And you're going to win. And, yeah, I may take a hit. It's going to suck. But I'm not losing. You know, I'm walking into that like – and I'm short. I'm a short little dagger. So I would actually go and do defensive tactics on my own outside the agency because everybody I'm fighting is taller than me. <laughs> fine all right i i'll learn i don't there i'm not i'm not gonna lose though it, it's it's one of those things that you just got to get in there and i think that that mentality helps you even you know in swat as well okay i need I, i'm going into something that's very high stress but i need to know how to dial down and that's very important for people to be able to do to do that you need maturity you need to have somebody who's got a strong mind and there's a lot of people that you know they've gotten trophies their whole life they're not necessarily used to any type of, uh, you know, you, you have to have pain in your life to a degree to learn things like yeah. it or not, whether it's working out or whether it's pain in life or whatever um, to a degree, uh, but you, you need that stress to grow. And if you don't, it's like a muscle. If you don't create some stress against it, it's not going to get stronger. And 
uh, sometimes you just you just don't get that right. So um, and some people are going to the job and they're they're getting through and they've never had that stress in their life. Then they finally fight somebody for real. And you know what the difference between like boxing and fighting is? It's rules, right? There's no rules in the fight. The fight is a fight. That's it, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. You got to get in there with that mindset of I'm going to win, you know, no matter what. But you got to dial back once you've won. That's the key. Right. So that's hard. That, that requires maturity and, and the ability to deal with that kind of thing. Is that why, do you think that's why the military, law enforcement, some of the law enforcement don't want the military? Because it, it is hard to dial back, to go to that hands-on where you come from, you come from a ranger unit or a SEAL unit, unless you're going to actually get a high value target, you're not dialing back. If it's, there's a bad, you're going there to, you're going there to kill them. You're going there to kill them. I'm winning. I'm going home. Oh. I'm not putting my hands on any, is that why you think that the, some law enforcement think, don't want the military? I think that was their mindset, but it's the wrong mindset. Cause I had a buddy of mine who was a SEAL, uh, who became a cop, you know, every SEAL wants to grow up and become a cop. Right. So <laughs> just but he was a, he was a, he was a great cop though. And, and, and I, I would, I would dare say that, He's really good at that job because he was such so used to such a high stress level. Sure, yeah. having to make those decisions, I think it it's actually a little bit easier. Yeah, I see I, it with guys I too. I agree, well, I was yeah. I was gonna say this is such a stupid and silly example, but I mean, I saw it with Chris <laughs> when we first started the podcast, and uh, I just always think of this. We, I was in a studio, Chris was remote, and uh, we recorded like an hour of great content. And the person was like, oh, you wanted me to record that? I didn't record. <laughs> and and anybody I work with, I feel like, who's just worked in radio, and me, they're like ready to flip out in that situation. <laughs> Chris kept it so calm. And it's like, I think yeah. because you've actually experienced life or death situations, yeah, like an hour of our conversation lost, I'll, I'll live. Well, we'll, I'll go we'll, home. we'll, like, th we'll throw him under the bus. Did, wasn't it Will Cow? Cause you did that for Will Cow. He freaked out. No, I've never, it? it's, I've actually never had that happen. Um, where it was my, though there's been or other not, times maybe not, maybe not you did it but so no but i've seen it happen i've seen it happen many times but I, I understand it man because you can't recreate great great content but yeah no i mean i i think once you've experienced more stress in life yeah other things are yeah so my, my daughter deal, so. my daughter pointed out to me uh about a month ago that i'm devoid of emotion sometimes when i should have <laughs> right so she broke her arm i never forget that she brought this up as an example and um she was doing something she wasn't supposed to do we told her, don't do that She's like me. She's hard-headed, right? She's Sicilian, <laughs> a little bit of Sicilian. <laughs> so she breaks her arm and I show up and she's got, it's called a green stick fracture. You have a regular fracture, one bone, uh, radius, regular fracture. Green stick is it, it because uh, kids' bones are so flexible, it looks like a green stick. So it creates, yeah. it just yeah. bowed. So this thing is bowed down. <laughs> And I walk up and I, I see her. I go to the drive to the house. I get the phone call. Oh my God, she's got a broken arm. I'm like, okay. So I drive up there. I'm like, I walk up and I look at it. She's crying. It's not because of pain because she knows she was doing she, something. She did stuff. something she wasn't supposed to be doing. You, yeah. done, you done messed up AA, Ron, right? So yeah. I showed up and uh, I look at it. I go, you know, honey, honey I, uh, I can't fix that. So we're going to have to go to the hospital. All right. And that's it. You know, there's, and she, she was bringing that up. She goes, you didn't get excited. You didn't yell at me. I said, did, did you even care? I said, well, did I take you to the hospital? <laughs> yeah, well, then I guess I care. I said, there's no point in getting excited. And yeah, which was, is the better way, the better way of going about things. Yeah. It's, I, it's that's reminding me the craziest. I, this is a ridiculous story, man. When I was in elementary school, somehow I got a ring stuck around my finger. 
and I was like losing circulation. And they called my mom. And I remember these nurses called my mom and they were like, your son has a ring stuck to his finger. You need to get here now. And it was like the total. And I actually did have to go to the hospital. But it was like the total opposite of keeping calm in the situation, yeah. which would have made things a hell of a lot better. Hey, hope you guys are enjoying this show with Tom Alvarando. We, we certainly spoke quite a bit about firearms because that's Tom's background. And uh, we actually did speak a little bit about ammo. Now, if you want to shoot with the best ammo out there, make sure you're shooting with Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger, Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but you'll get the best deal through us when you go to fsm.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. They will be at SHOT Show. Once again, fsm.com, promo code BATTLEWINE. And you know who else will be at SHOT Show? Photonis Defense. I'll be there at their booth. We're going to do a live show from there, or live on the floor, and then we'll put it up later. But it'll be myself, Dale Sizemore, Sean Kirk, and, of course, Phil Otto from Photonis Defense. Looking very forward to that. So if you're in the industry and you're going to SHOT Show, be sure to check us out there. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper binocular night vision system by Photonis Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonis Defense Viper binocular to become masters of darkness. The new Viper binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonis Defense Viper monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Visit PhotonisDefense.com for more information or look for Photonis Defense product options from your night vision dealer, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com. Now let's get back to Tom Alabrando. There there were times when I, I'll tell you a perfect example of, of on, on the inside, you're allowed to panic, but you can't do it on the outside. Right? Yeah. So I remember when we were, um, when we were in Iraq and I was a, uh, at the time I was a TC, I was in the front right seat, which were is you, like, were you two or you're with four, which four? I was with team? four, not with two. With two, I was okay. a window licker and a saw guy. So, okay. uh, but when I was with four and I did it with you, I was, uh, I was, a. you're, you're my, T yeah, you were a TC a few times. A TC there. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're driving along and we, we, we didn't have, uh, you know, GPS on the phone. We had yeah. Falcon view, right. <laughs> and Falcon view is this degraded piece of shit. You know, it, it wasn't good at all. If I wanted something, if we were going to some venue that we didn't know where it was, 
Um, we had to go to the NRO and the embassy and they had to show us like really good photos of where we were going because Falcon View was garbage. And I remember I would have these sheets of paper. It would show yes. every, every turn, every uh, like right. these, these, these very specific statues or what everything, nothing, none of it's in English. It was like, it was like map questing. In Iraq. And there's three <laughs> routes. So you have to know <laughs> yeah. all three routes yeah. Yeah. To, to get to where you're going. In case one doesn't work out, you need to know, okay, this. And then I would sit there. I mean, when I got done doing, like we, we do our debriefs and stuff like that, I would sit there and look at the routes at night and try and just memorize, okay, this is what doing this, doing this visual. And it helped me out. But if you made a wrong turn, which that happened on one of my things, I made a wrong turn. We ended up going down something called Mechanics Alley, right? We 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 turned. This is before you got there. This is was when that, Bird, was, Bird that was, was running the team. Bird, I was going to say was Chris, was Chris running? Yeah, Chris was Bird. running. The, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we made a turn this. down Mechanics Alley, but I knew where it came out. But Mechanics Alley is this very narrow street, and it's all mechanics. Like that's why we call it Mechanics Alley. It was all the way they do it overseas. A lot is you'll have these certain sections that yeah. it's it's like instead of spreading out AutoZone in multiple places, they have AutoZone in one place, right? So it's nothing but like engines and cars, you know, that they're working on. It's very narrow. And I made a left turn too early. Um, and I was like, well, shit, right? But I can't get on the radio and go, I fucked you up. Oh my God. Oh. Right? It was like, hey guys, I know where this goes. We're going to the Ministry of uh, Science and Industry or something like that. I think that's what it was. And I said, I know where this goes. We just got to get through this little bit of a traffic jam. So me and uh, another guy out of my car bailed out. And we were, people helped us. We were nice. We were cool about it. You can't be, you can't get mad at it. There's more than there is of you. You can't be an asshole. And we were trying to, you know, ogaf, ogaf, you know, whatever. And we got through it. And then we got where we were going. But there was no point in me getting on and panicking about it i was like yeah i made a mistake yeah and i i'm thinking of even as you're saying this like the most extreme examples of uh you know pilots when they experience this i think of like miracle in the hudson with sully sullenberg here in new york where the plane was about to go down because actually because of birds that enter enter the engine for people who don't know in the engines both engines at the same yeah but I mean, I know that in those scenarios, when they listen back to the recording and everything, like they know that they're possibly about to die. They're possibly about to kill a plane full of people, you know, to no fault of their own. And they are as calm as can be. And I think only training could and only experience could experience could do that to you. It is. But you also look, you read the terrain, too. So, yeah, it's compressed. There's a lot of people there. We had to kind of walk the cars through a certain section. It was like 100 yards. And then it opened up again and we were able to get going. But you're you're going, you know what? There's a lot of people here, so I'm not really worried about a car bomb. They we nobody no they were looking at us like you dumb Americans, right? So they're not <laughs> used to what's going down there. So I'm like, eh, no pre-planned attack. I think we're okay. But the one thing that you pick up very quickly, and I learned this on SWAT too, and you learn it everywhere, is that uh, panic is infectious, but so is calm. Calm yeah. can be very infectious. Yeah. As long as you just melly on the inside, I'm going, you dumbass, you just effed up. What the hell? But on the outside, you got to go, yeah, mistake. Let's press through. Or you have to let it go. You have to let it go. You're yeah. dealing with the problem you have at the moment, not, you know, and and that was I was probably one of the only times I, I remember really making a, a mistake like that. But every team did. Because no Can I tell you, by the way, I love this yeah. story. You know why? Because our, our audience is like a mixture of military guys and civilians. 
And sometimes I feel like some of the stuff that military guys do, it's heroic, but it doesn't necessarily translate to everyday life. Like what you're saying right now, I think anyone listening could get something out of that because it, it is true. People, no matter what your line of work is, panic too much, get too excited, get startled. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, calm is infectious. I'm going to remember that. It's true. Yeah. To deal with the problem you have and, and kind of work through it. No problem. You know, no issues. But and I, that but the guys, you know, the other there's a lot of confidence there. Though. So the guys that I was with were freaking rock solid. Right. I yeah. there wasn't a single guy on that. You know, you had a Spino and the, the two Dannys, you know, you had Cooper and all those guys. Yeah, they're the good guys. Good dudes. Even even little little Wolf was pretty good. Little Wolfie. Dude. Yeah, yeah Wolfie was good. Little dude. Little yeah. Wolf. Yeah. So. But and it was weird because it it was odd because you you know you, when you came on in Templar two, you had a military guy who's running the team. You have this cop who's like the number two guy, and you know there's Marines, there's there's cops, there's Rangers. There was uh, I think we had one SF cat. Um, remember yeah. big old Sly? Remember Sly? Yeah, we, that Sly. was our SF. He was uh, fifth. Yeah, Sly was. I, I post pictures of him. He's he's he looks like. He looks like the dude from Adam's family. He looks like Lurch. Lurch. You see Lurch yeah. You'll see Mia Spino, Lucas Harvey. Lucas was there. Lucas. He, yeah, Lucas Harvey. And, and then you see Lurch, and he's this huge dude, like six. Uh, but he, he was he was solid. A lot of guys didn't he, like I liked him. Was, I thought he was a good dude. Man. I no, I had no issues with him. You know what was smart about him is when we, uh, back, in the, back in the day, when we went to these venues, we had no advanced team. An advanced team. Yeah, I remember. Great, great context is, um, they get there before you do. They let you know that, hey, the site's secure. This is where you're coming in. They identify your vehicles, make sure you get in safe. Um, but they've already scouted out the area. Sometimes they have dogs to make sure there's no bombs or stuff that's going to kill you. We didn't have that. Uh, and a lot of times we couldn't even go out the day before and advance the area because we didn't want to tip our hand that we were showing up and then create a, an issue, right? So, um, but we, so we would show up and one of my jobs that I was doing is every site we went to, we were doing our on-site surveys. We were running around doing that. Now I've got a lot of great guys. You know, I've, I've, I've got Rangers. I've got, you know, got, you know, look at avenues of approach and areas that are, uh, that are not secure or not watched or uh, breaks in the wall, whatever, you know, defensible. We're looking for defensible stuff and hard stuff. Um, but like Sly, perfect example. I know he's a comms guy. Comms guys are weird. But they're freaking brilliant, right? They're yeah, he was smart. He was fucking smart. Yeah, he was. He was a smart guy. So I get on a roof with him, and you know the IPs, the Iraqi police, or whatever, would tell me what stuff was around us because I want to know what are we surrounded by. And he would sit there and he'd look at a, a building and he go, "Yeah, Tom, that's military." I go, "How do you know that?" He goes, "It's the way the antenna array is set up." <laughs> he goes, "I know that's military. That's a TV station over there. That's what this is." And you, you, you know, the smart thing about being a, a leader of any kind is you tap into all those resources. Hey, you're, you're a sponge, man. You're, I remember when he did that with me, I just sit up there and I'm just a sponge. Take it. So next time, if he's not with me, I look at that antenna, like, okay, I know what that is. I know what yeah. that is. You, and that, that was the beauty of, of at that time with all that experience is that everybody knew something. Everybody was a subject, subject matter expert in something. Nobody was a subject matter expert in everything. Right. That was, that was, you could just pick and, and you could just get, you could just get information and remember. And that's what helped me 10 years later. It was like, holy shit. I, you know, I yeah. realized like, man, I learned a lot of shit over and those. I honestly that believe that made the team stronger because you have oh, these yeah. diverse backgrounds. You have all these people that do different things. Right. Um, and then, you know, when you get on to, um, when I got on to cat, I remember that yeah. I was working with Boone, we had, uh, 
you know, it, big sexy, you know, the medic there and I'm learning shit from him. And yeah, yeah, kinds of things. So it, it, we really cross trained a lot with each other. What cops were good at was looking at people's behavior. We're, we know when somebody's not acting right. So that was something we would pick up on. We even had a guy, remember Jaber? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wish that Jabber, he was on the show. Well, you know, and Rob was yeah. ground zero, probably one of the, he was in the biggest. He was, he was in my class. He was. Yeah. yeah. Rob, Rob was, yep. we were, we were all, we were all, we were all together. Me, so we, we got over there and I remember I was on a, a venue yeah. with Jaber and Jaber, you know, he speaks Arabic. He's, you know, um, and I, he goes, you want me to start talking to these guys? I said, no, be the dumb American. I want you to shut up. And if they talk, start talking to you in Arabic, act like you don't know. I want you to listen to that. Right. I just we would do that. We had I had a Spanish speaking officer. She was from Pennsylvania in Arizona. And uh she spoke fluent Spanish, but she's this white chick. So if we arrested somebody, they would start talking because they're looking at her like, nah, she's a gringo. She doesn't know anything. And I'd like let them talk, Amy. Let them do their thing. She'd be like, Yeah, there's drugs under the seat. Okay, cool. Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. You know. So I wanted him to do the same thing. I'm like, hey, just just listen. Just let me know who's going to kill us right now. Yeah. What what are they saying about us? That's what I want to know. And then we'll we'll have them translate and figure it out. So he was he was he's a great guy. He was a wonderful guy to work. Well, with. He's still one. Yeah, you know, he's I still talk to him. He's still one of my yeah. best friends. Yeah, you know, Rob Rob is tremendous. It just yeah, and he was, and yeah, he, he he moved on and was on the APD when I finally moved over to that ambassador's detail. Him and I were together and. Um, like I said him and I still still talk quite a bit. Um, I guess getting into that, you know, and I do want to touch on that, but you know, because we still have about 30 minutes, man. Um, when did getting into contract? Because we were all I was the class one, Boone's class one, the Rob was there, you were there. We had a guy named Dave Lopez, you know, we had a lot, but it was Lopez, it was yep. fucking if what I remember as I remember just being sheer madness and not learning a fucking thing because all the instructors were SEALs. And then you have everybody else that, and they're trying to bark and they're trying to be, they're trying to be, um, they're trying to be Coronado seals. They're trying to be fucking, you know, hell week seals to a bunch of, <laughs> to all these guys that have already. So and, from and been around and we all were like, like, so what stop treating us like that. We're done. What, what was your perspective? Cause I, I remember just sitting on a bench and watching guys fight and so, I didn't learn a damn thing. What was your perspective or what did you get with those three weeks when we were at Blackwater going through that first train up i call it loosely train because i didn't learn a fucking thing it, it was it was kind of it was kind of bullshit so just you remember justin he was running oh yeah the, oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah that um justin yeah and that, you know he was and so justin was 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 the unfortunate lead instructor and he was a marine his background was marine good guy um i was there with tig i don't know if you remember a uh, different tig uh, Not, twig. yeah twig. Yeah. sorry twig Twi you're with matt with matt you're with matt, matt and twig. i were yeah. with the lead yeah. we we split our yeah. class into we had 75 we ended up graduating 48 um we when we were there there was a guy from state department his name was tom something i can't remember his last i remember name. him too yeah um so they would show us how to do an arrival and then tom would come out and then correct him midway through and go, okay, what we just showed you is bullshit. You got to do it this way. We're like, what the fuck? We, we would learn three different fucking ways to do everybody. They kept changing it on us. We learned and something and they would change it. Every they single time. Attacks on principle, that changed a few times. Um, then they did the, uh, the one thing I remember us when we got over there, uh, we started training at the Cross Swords. And this is before you got there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, 
we they they were showing us uh you know if you if you had a vehicle down you know the prince the limo goes down and how down. contact and the way they they were doing it stateside was you know everybody basically you know round round uh like a wagon wheel yeah get them out and then go and like well we are already seeing that every time something like that had happened everybody died or got nice. shot. yep fucking stupid so the minute we show up and we're going to start we would do a run and we were very busy in the beginning because there weren't a lot of teams there. So every day, uh, about every day, uh, yeah, every day, sometimes twice a day, we were going out. Um, but when we could, we go to the crossroads and we practice. We're, we're not doing that. We're, we're not putting all of our assets on a fucking X and getting smoked. We're going to push one guy out. It's going to be a makeshift hate truck and we're going to put some hate on him. And then we're going to work another vehicle up to him and, you know, get him out. It, every That way people can actually fight this problem right what it was it was it was just infantry man it was allowing putting out a base it of is. fire putting out a base of fire yeah. from a, from afar out of the kill zone so people can move off and and we can either take off or you could even turn into the assault force and and flank them and and go take them out it's just but, exactly but, but you know so that, there was what we were taught and then there's what we did so two different things you know the 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 boss is always going to get out on this side well, depending on the venue, there was a lot of high ground. Hey, would you mind getting on the left side of the vehicle? I know this is a little unusual, but we just don't want to expose you. Roger that. We'll we'll do that for you. So we would they would they would work with you. We had some principals that were <laughs> less wow. than happy we were there. I get well, it. Well, it's State Department. They're fucking clowns, dude. I'll say right. Yeah, they are, and they're probably worse now. I'm I'm glad I'm not. I I don't know. It was yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some the, of those uh, some of those people were young. We had one. What was the, it was right outside uh, checkpoint two. I can't remember the name of it. It was uh shoot. It was um, like ministry of culture or something like that. It was weird. Okay. And we were just outside there and we had this guy suit. He didn't want us there, but we had, a, we had mortar fire come in and we decided, you know what? We need to, we need to go. Like, we're not going to stay here. We, we think something's weird. Weird's happening outside. So bird made the decision, you know, we need, we need to get him out. So we, we have the, you know, AIC, uh, Chris Corner, you remember him? Yeah, I'm a Chris, good guy. Chris is a weird. He's a he was a different. He was eclectic, but he was a good dude. He was he a was good eclectic, dude. but he was smart. He was actually really brilliant. He was, I should say, eccentric is probably a better word for Chris. Chris I talked to him yeah. years after. Every once in a while, we'll still connect. You know, he's a good dude, um, though. Yeah, he was the one who started calling me Dingo for some reason. I can't figure that one out, but that was him. You kind of so, look like a Dingo dog, like the old <laughs> Australian dog pack dogs when you're working. Yeah, you I think that's I told you, you're thick, dude. You're musk. You're thick. You look like I'm, a little Dingo I'm, running around. I'm thick. I'm <laughs> fat is what it is. So anyway, so he, uh, the the guys. Uh, we got to have our little revenge. We only did this one time, but um, we had this UN body armor. It was like bright blue with the helmet and the whole thing. We had the black and then we had the UN. He wouldn't wear the body armor going to the venue. Like, hey, you got to put sneakers on. You got to wear the body armor. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, fine. It's right outside checkpoint two. I'm not going to argue with this guy. Whatever. We're going. So when the mortars came in, we decided to get him out. I'm talking on the radio. It's our little thing. Like get the blue body armor. <laughs> like what? Get the blue body armor, <laughs> sir. You got to put this on. You know, I'm not putting it on, sir. We can't leave unless you put this body armor on. So he put the blue body armor on the helmet that was too big. You look at Beetle Bailey, <laughs> and we walked about. And you know how you laugh on the radio? You click it, right? Yeah. All you hear is people as we're walking out, click, 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 click. We we're like, yeah, what a not not head. Yeah. So, but we got him back safely. That's all that mattered. Obviously, we wanted him to get back, but. 
yeah, we had our little moments where we could have a little bit of fun. That was it. So moving on, you know, when did you finally, because I left in 05 and went to Blackwater, went to Greystone for like three months and then yep. GRS. When did you finally leave State Department? What'd you do after that, bro? I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really get in touch and start to start to really get in touch with you again till IWI. So there's that gap in there. What the hell were you doing? No, we we saw each other at Blackwater. Well, there were uh, more than a few times. You were running the obstacle course all the time. Uh, uh, well, that's when I was doing the teaching. When I was in between doing the GRS teaching, and yep. then I come back. I was out at the uh, what was that fucking secret squirrel? Yep. Base we called it back. the PTC. PTC, that's right. The private training center or whatever. Private training center. But that's right. So oh, you yeah. came back and taught for is that what that's right, didn't you? You came ten back years. And, I was there for 10 years. How was that? Now, what did you see when you were there? Because that's you you were there when actually Eric started transitioning out. Oh yeah. I saw the whole yeah. thing kind of start to go sideways. So what, what yeah, I, what was that like, man? What well, I left I left BW, I went back and I became a cop for another year and a half. The idea was I was going to do this and you know get it out of my system. And then I got a call from somebody there. And I can't remember if it was Bill Go or somebody who knew Bill me. Go. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh can you come out? We're doing, you know, we need instructors. We'd like you to come try out. So I left the agency. I flew out uh on my own dime got there you had a test to become an instructor out there which i thought was good you know you had to shoot cold two qualifications um you had to do an interview with a very intimidating group it was like 13 instructors they're all sf dudes like fifth group dudes and 20th and uh, a couple seals and um you know you had the australian who was out there you remember him? yeah i remember i remember i knew all those I, yeah i yeah, knew all those guys uh, they, they always said they always said that you know that you had to come in they had to make that intimidating but if you yeah it's fine dude, so you I, guys. I answered the questions i did everything i was supposed to do <laughs> it's, it's, and I, I i did well on the quals i i'm not a terrible shooter at all so no you're good you're a good shooter man it There's, worked out pretty well and then uh and then you had to teach in front of them so i chose a thing and i, I taught did my five minute instruction and then I got a call about a month and a half later, and they said, "Yeah, we want you to to come out here. We'll uh, we'll take That's care right. of you getting That's out right. here. We'll pay for you to come out, and um, you know whatever." So uh, I ended up moving the family from Arizona to uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, and then I worked there for ten years. And initially, it was wonderful. Uh, I worked in something called Open Enrollment. That was a division, and they yeah. said, "Listen, you can deploy again after a year." Cause we know you'll get sucked back into that and then we'll lose you. So, but we want you to stay relevant. We know you need to get off the range. So after a year or so, I started deploying again um, with IRI and some other places up in Erbil. Yeah. I, I didn't want to do state again. It was, it got big it, and it's state department. You know, yeah. I, I did some of the Intel thing for them and I was interfacing with the RSO a lot. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's fine, but I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to do this other stuff. Um, I did some CNTPO work. So I, I would deploy Afghanistan. I ended up in there and I ended up going to Mexico and I ended up in Africa. Um, so I didn't know that. No, where, where'd yeah. you end up? I didn't know that. Uh, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, it was, you were in Nigeria. Oh, you're there too. Yeah, that's pretty hot. That's, that's always hot, dude. Always game. I was in Plateau State. You were probably in Lagos. I was <laughs> Northeast uh, somewhere else yeah okay i got you i got you i got you <laughs> i know where you were i think guys got you yeah no i don't know where you were. um <laughs> but the reality was is i was in the plateau state up by um 
Plateaustic Jose. If you remember, okay. you have a yeah. Buddha, then you keep going, and it was where Boko Haram was operating. So, yeah, so were you doing security or were you doing teaching? Were you teaching locals or both? Teaching, a little bit of both. I was teaching their version of the DEA, and it was only three of us up there. We were by ourselves, we had nobody else. Okay. So right. it, was, uh, it was a unique opportunity, but I, I have to admit, um, it was very difficult. Like the, we were living on local food, local everything. Um, but I, I, I think that was one of the most challenging ones I've had. And some of the other guys that had been on other deployments like that said, yeah, this, this kind of sucks a little bit. I think I enjoy that the most. Um, Is it, did, what, was it hard because of the living or the teaching? Yeah. Or the, or the, or the job both. Okay. Can we had okay. no resources. <laughs> We had to have our, we had to buy a generator. We had five hours of power a day. Um, we had almost no resources for teaching. You know, what made it great was the students that were there wanted to be there. They were working their asses off and they were learning uh, how to do things differently than what they do. They, sure. you know, the, the Nigerian, the Nigerian military in general, and uh, they're, they're, even their DEA is military based, right? So um, they're under a British system. And the officers and the the NCOs, uh, the way they do things are different than the way we do them. Like we would go, perfect example, we go to the mess hall and um, at lunch or whatever, and we'd show up and they're like, go ahead, sir. Mr. Tom, go, yeah, Mr. It's everyone's Mr. Something, right? Mr. Yeah. Mr. Tom, go ahead. And I'd be like, nope, you guys go in first. I had 24 guys at a time. And I go, you guys go in first. And like, that's not how we do it here. I said, this is how I'm going to teach it. This is how I do it. You take care of your people first. Instructors eat last. We take care of our people first, no matter what. That's what leadership's about. I'm not here just to teach you how to kick in a door, or do raids. I'm here to show you how to be with your people. So you go in first. And the uh, the guy who was a commandant at the time, um, smart guy. You can't underestimate people. You go to a country like that and you think, eh, you know, how bright can they be? Guess what? They can be pretty freaking smart. And there were a lot of brilliant people that I ran into over there. Do not underestimate them all. This, uh, the commandant of the base was a brilliant guy, smart. He knew what we were trying to do and he agreed with everything. He backed us up 100%. And his guys got a lot of good training. I still talk to him on Facebook. They text me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that was one of the things. And then when they screwed up, they shot a hostage instead of a, a bad guy, like they were supposed to, or they missed. There was punishment involved with that, right? So it's physical punishments, push-ups. Um, now you're talking about in training, or you're yeah. talking about <laughs> yeah, not, not in real life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, be a little I mean, bit, but, but little bit more real, of a I, penalty. I, I'm but talking I'm about saying, schooling them up, right? I, I, but so, I just want—I mean, not that that doesn't happen. Guys, it, it does, especially over in those countries where you're trying to help them. You're because it it happens, guys. But that's why I just—I want to make no, sure no, no. out there we're, we're not. You don't come off a raid and they go, oh, "Okay, just, guys." You just shot the dead hostage. Shot, the, there. shot the hostage. Do a few push-ups. Do some push-ups now. <laughs> no, this this is training. This is in real life. So this is the pre-training before they go to gotcha. the yeah. raid. So they would sit there and they go, "Okay, you know, whoever shot him is going to do the push-up." I said, "No, the team does the push-ups. Everybody does it. Either we succeed, we succeed as a team, or we fail as a team." That's it. That's awesome. And they're like, what are you doing, Tom? I'm like, I'm doing push-ups with you. Well, why, why are you doing push-ups? Because that's not the way it works. They stand over them with a stick and make them do push-ups. I'm like, because I'm your instructor. And if I haven't, if I haven't schooled you enough, then I need to work on it too. And I'm not taking off my kit. We did push-ups together. And they they thought that, that that's the American way to do it, right? That's how we do it here. If they only knew, if they only could. 
<laughs> half our damn leaders uh, fuck yeah, the success of our failure of anything does not fall into the highest chain of command it's past the buck it's somebody no. else's fault somebody else but that's that's but that's in the old school that's how we work that's how what i learned success or failure of any mission falls on the highest chain of command doesn't matter who yeah. it is that's how i learned at ranger battalion doesn't it, matter it's my fault if, if it, even and that's yep. how it should be but yeah, we, that's exactly we, right. And when you when you debrief, like when we would get back from a run, and and you know, people, that's the key is also being honest with yourself. You want to know one of the key things? Some of the best teams I came across, like the the Phoenix PD guys, when we would train, we cross train with them. We drive down to Phoenix, we work with those guys, and I would listen to a debrief of something that they did, real life, you know, real life hostage rescue or something like that. And they would sit around and they look at me and they go, yeah, we did this, but we messed this up. Like we, we could have done this better, but we didn't. So next time we're working best teams ever are the ones that are honest with themselves and go, you know what? There's things that go wrong and you got to learn from it. If you don't admit your mistakes, you're just going to make more. Right. And that's the best teams I've ever come across. And I'm talking about guys that were, you know, freaking ninjas would sit there and go, yeah, we messed this up. I respect the hell out of that. Yeah. That they can admit that. And you know what? They're good for a reason. It's because they do that. And you got to be honest, right? So that's that's a key thing. And I I, I think that's something I carried with me. Uh hearing those guys talk about that and going, you know, and we did that too. We, we get done a run. I remember get there. We went, you know, do a bumper brief or whatever. And guys would go, Yeah, I could have done this better. Man, I, I didn't call this out. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. We'll, we'll fix that on the next fix one. Fix it on the next one. Going out, we're home. Everything's okay. Humility is a big part of being a good leader. And I think, I think, think our, I think there's a lot of the younger generations out there that, that believe that or know that or, and they should, if being a good leader takes a lot of humility. It because does. You have to being self-critical and, and, but that's what those debriefs and hot washes always made you. Cause if you weren't, if you don't have any humility in you, you're going to get called out worse in front of everybody else. And oh, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna dig in you um right you know going through all this you know I, I wanted to ask you and this is just a personal thing with blacker even i'm asked for i asked you this before um we just didn't get into it did you think black do you think eric got a raw deal there from the state department when he was at blackwater i mean they literally chased him off his own company where they made it and, and you were there teaching at that time or or, so, were, or were things going? Did he put surround himself with bad people? Uh, I, Eric, I, I protected Eric and his family when I wasn't doing GRS. So I, I got to know Eric yeah. well. And, and I liked him. He always took great care of us. He was a little odd, but he, yeah, he is but, what he is. Yeah. I, the opinion I had, and there was one individual in particular with the slicked hair. I remember that tur he was a yeah. he was a turd. Yes. Yeah. He he, I, I think he just whispered things in his ear that he yeah. just wanted to hear. It was that uh yeah. it's an echo chamber, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we need to do. Hey, we need to go buy a blimp. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Why are we buying? <laughs> Why are we buying? <laughs> and then we bought the MacArthur. You remember that ship? Yeah. It only went 13 knots, but all the, the ships yeah. were going 25 knots. It's like, why the fuck did we do that? Why? Because he said it, and nobody would sit there and go, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. That's not good. I think that's a bad idea, right? Yeah. So there was an echo chamber, and I think that's that's kind of what did. I think in the end, um, it was Panetta. Yeah, I would I would more favor on that side of it because I know some things went sideways with them. I and I think that was the the real issue. Um, well, Leon was a turd when he was our director. He, I mean, he fucking and then he was a sec def. He's the one that left. He was a sec def when we got left. If you all right. Yeah. 
he, when we he fucking didn't do a damn thing. And I, 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 I yeah, that, the, I think that's when we, everybody, even politicians were dirt bags before that. I think that's when people really started to see how bad politicians were. Uh, I think Eric's, I, I, you know, if I had to say, and, I, and you know, it, I saw him around all the time, but we never had any real discussions, right? I was sure. I, I managing there at one point in time and I actually gave it up and went back to teaching. Um, I, I honestly believe it was a ready fire aim kind of thing. Like he was very, he's very motivated to do the right thing. Yeah. But before you do that, there are certain things you gotta, you gotta protect yourself too at all times, like getting into a fight and going to attack all the time and having no defense, you're going to get hit. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I think that's kind of what got him eventually was, Hey, we want you to do this. Okay. I mean, he said no to some things he, he did. Um, but there were some other things that, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to get, I got to get my guys the stuff. And then there's a procedure for that. And you know, the hell of the procedure, let's just get it over there. Let's get these guys what they need. Well, that's, that's what got him in hot water because of the dog hiding the AKs and the dog food and, it, it, and all that. The ironic thing was he wasn't hiding it. It, it, it if you go back and you looked at it, cause we talked about that, that, okay. that uh, he was just getting it over there. It just made sense to pack it all together and get it over there in one shot. But that wasn't the proper procedure. I, again, I didn't, this is something that yeah, I, I, no, I, yeah. it, I don't think it was, he wasn't hiding it. It was um, I, right now. I deal, obviously I work in IWI and we ship things from here to there. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense from a, a logistical standpoint that if I've got X amount of pounds of this, I might as well just put it all on one pallet and get it over there. Okay. Uh, and I think it turned into he's hiding it in dog food. He didn't hide it in dog food. He didn't cut the bags open and stick the upper receiver. And that's what State Department tried to make it sound like. That's a, and a, I got you. Yeah, that's that's see, I, I didn't. That's something learning something new. Yeah, this day. is cool because uh, I, yeah, I, I, I as an outsider, I've heard. I think anybody when they hear either Blackwater or the name Eric Prince, it's like they either love the guy or it's total visceral reaction but that particular story i, I i'm not familiar with yeah so it's a, i think the reality of it was he was should he have shipped the uppers over there in the first place probably not he probably just not. sent him over there and didn't get a license sorry right but he was like no they're going on weapons already we've already got the weapons we just need the uppers whatever yeah so oh my god this is such a good clip by the way yeah i remember i was i was working grs and the team house was right behind us when all that was going on so and, I, and i remember i, I don't all that. i yeah. don't think he was trying to hide anything i think he was just shipping stuff over and it was all in one thing and then it became well he's hiding you know where I, was I he sending this well, to this was uh, iraq there was no i've it was kabul afghanistan it we had a one thing with uh with blackwater's they would contract with CIA, State Department. So we'd work, but then we also had our own guys over there that worked directly for Blackwater and you lived at the team house there, the Blackwater team house, and they would help get stuff into the country. Like if, if, like if, if, if ammo came in or guns came in or food came in and that was Blackwater's responsibility to get them to the particular agencies and their guys. It wasn't right. CIA's. It wasn't State Department. So it was part of Black, the contract. It was part of the contract. So Blackwater even need their own needed their own security team that was just Blackwater lived autonomous from State Department, separately from CIA that could go do all these logistical runs. And they were security guys. And we needed. I, I guess State Department was just spinning up at the time. Giras, we'd been there forever, so we had our shit together. Yeah, yeah. 
but State Department was just spinning up there in Afghanistan. Blackwater just got the contract and they were short weapons. And Tom knows this. We were there. Remember in Iraq, we were handing weapons. To, we didn't have enough weapons. We were like trading weapons with Corps. Guys would come off a run. We'd take their guns because we didn't have enough. Well, we would, Eric didn't want to go through that again. He's like, fuck that. My guys need their guns. <laughs> They're in Afghanistan. Yeah. So, go ahead. So, go ahead. Yeah, State got the State <clears throat> finally got us the guns. You know, we ended up having our own stuff eventually, right? So it worked out. The Corps guys were complaining. But, they but it was Tickville State Department. They fucking waited, and Eric was not going to do that. Eric, Eric, that's uh, one thing I do. Eric did take care of his guys. He's he like, did. my guy, he, he, my guys need took, those guns. Yeah, he always took care of his his guys. And I honestly believe that um, the State Department, the rule, the ITAR rules back in 0304, I don't think were very well defined or no, there were no <laughs> dude that nothing was fucking well defined. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe maybe Tom brought an aim point with him. <laughs> And didn't know that he wasn't supposed to do that. And nobody nobody said anything. And State Department guys would see me with an aim point on my weapon. This is an ITAR controlled item, by the way. And then finally, by the end of 04, 05 time frame, they're like, oh, you can't have that. You can't ship that back. We, 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 so for those that don't understand what Tom's speaking, the, the, the contractor language, State Department, there were specific rules that we could only carry certain optics on our guns. We could only use certain ammunition. We could only use certain weapon systems. We could we weren't allowed to carry grenades, but or we were allowed to carry these type. And it was stupid. It was some pencil pusher putting it down. So, yeah. But in but in the beginning where we didn't have enough stuff, I remember bringing a bunch of gear over when I first came over. Half of it got hijacked in Amman by the Royal Jordanian Guard. Anyway, <laughs> they yeah. took a good stake and they took half my shit. But towards the end of it, like in 06, when all this was going on. That's when State Department finally, after two years, had enough gear that they could say, okay, everybody's going to look the same. You're all going to have Yotex. You're all going to have this. You're all going to have this. You can't have anything else separately I, because what we give you. then what we give you, even if, and a lot of it was substandard shit. So that's why oh, guys yeah. like Tom and myself, I brought an aim point over myself. It's like, fuck, yeah. fuck you, dude. This, you're not, we didn't have Yotex at that time. It was some shitty optic. It wasn't even an ACOG. It was terrible. It was a ACOG TA-47, they finally got those in. Initially, it was iron sights. Iron sights. It's like, fuck Are you. you. I'm, I'm not iron sighting here in this urban environment. I'm bringing my endpoint. I did. We're, and We're going out at night. I think I need something I can see a little bit better. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> this is bullshit. And, but I'll be honest with you. They would see us like the RSO. I, I know on a couple occasions, it seen me with yeah. kid on and didn't say anything about my endpoint. It was 04. He, we didn't have enough shit. He's like, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Nobody complained about it. And I think people took that latitude and they didn't know that it was a problem. I think a lot, honestly, were ignorant of the international trade and arms regulations is what ITAR stands for. So they were not familiar with that, um, the rules. And I remember shipping it back. I couldn't ship it through the mail because they were like, if they see it, we're going to confiscate it. I I found FedEx and I'm like, well, you're not keeping my shit. FedExing it to myself back to the U S and that's how I got it back. But um, you can't do that now, by the way. But God, I remember remember how much money we used to spend to FedEx all of our shit. I remember spending five hundred bucks to FedEx all my shit back. My and that we had Fed we had a FedEx in Iraq in Baghdad. I know it was right there. So I <laughs> I leave the APO, go to FedEx, and they're like, okay, we don't care. You know, we'll send it back. What's in here? Uh just, uh, just yes, clothes, like soft gear, yeah. no big deal. Okay, you guys are very lucky. 
<laughs> but it, that's that is the most that's that's the ridiculousness of State Department, and that's how bad their rules are now. Is that all those rules they they have enough gear now that they can enforce these stupid fucking rules? Yeah. Of gear, it's like, dude. No, I, hey, I like this. This guy likes this. This guy likes this. It's not. It, why can't I have an eight point? He have an EOTech, and he have an. Who gives a shit? And it was no. You're all gonna look this. No, fuck you. And it was always some pencil pusher or some guy that was in the army and worked in finance that was making the fucking rules and yeah and, but anyway that's what unique. happened there that's there, what there were a couple I'll, I'll say this i'll throw it out to a couple of ds agents that uh they were in afghanistan though these guys had been in the field they they knew um they'd work out in the mwr with us and stuff sure. and they, they were pretty cool dudes so i'm not gonna i don't want to lump every one of them but yeah, no, you're, that, you're, hey you're right. we did a run in the green zone it's like ooh, okay cool Green zone. <laughs> That's I, great. I, but I, I agree. Not I. There were some good. I, I, I liked a guy named Bill Womack, Grape Ape. I love that guy. He was, he was, he was, he was a good State Department RSO. And, and, but there were a few. No, there. I, I, I'll be honest, and they can hate me if they want. That there were more that were turds. That there were good guys. But there were always a few. There's always a few good guys, and there's always a few turds, regardless. Of yeah, we, we had Armitage. Remember when Armitage showed? Man, up? oh, yeah. Are you talking Uncle Fester? Hell yeah, I couldn't Uncle get Fester I showed could, up. I so couldn't you, get you, Dick were, Armitage to wear his no, fucking I had, body I had armor. the motorcade. <laughs> That's right. And you were on the Hilo, so you were flying yeah. from the Hilo to the embassy, and I was, you know motorcade to take him to it wasn't a long trip but um the two ds agents that came out there um were really cool and they yeah, go what was... what don't you like right now i said you see those guys they're they're iraqis i don't know who they are i want them gone i want everybody anybody doesn't need to be here i don't want them here there was a guy named bill bill Wynn, and he was actually a good dude yeah he, he he actually i met him later in uh he was in yemen when i was a grs on my last trip there you and, go uh, uh, but yeah, he, solid. He, he's solid dude. He come out. He go. What do you What do you need? You're running this show. What What are you? What's going on? And then you showed up, and of course, you know you're the shift lead, so you take over. I, <laughs> we we can make that. That's another. We don't need to talk about that. That was fun. <laughs> I had a great. No, I had a great time. Being, we had a great team, though. I mean, the, the team was already the shit. When I was shift leader of four, it was so easy. I mean, it could run itself. It's like, dude, let's just boom, boom, boom. And yeah. I, you know, I was very high strung. Then I I got an old video of me. And, you know, back in then, that's when we had, I threw radio. So I'm talking to the car radio. Then I'm talking to you or the TC. Then I'm talking to the talk. So yeah. I'm sitting there monitoring, we're talking to three radios, calling out threats. And I remember watching that video, Jeff Lizenby video. This was before cell phones. So he actually, you know, he mounted yeah, the camera. camera. Yeah, the camera mounted. And you can hear me because it's right there. And I'm like, holy shit. I, that was awesome. How did I, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't talk on three phones and monitor traffic and call it an RPG and AK4. It's like, damn, that was fun. I was yeah. getting pumped up watching it. And they're like, holy shit, I'm tired after watching five minutes of me. I know. It's like, you get back and you're like, how the hell do we do that? Uh, you know, we, and we do that oh. twice, twice a day. And that was, it was, it was know, crazy. Well, but, I remember when we ended up having the, uh, no, it might've been right before you came in. We had the, yeah. um, Oh, the Rhino runs, Lucas Hari. No, that was no, I was that was I was there, bro. That was there. That was, and I thought we were all gonna die nine times, nine times a day, up and down, fucking bio. Rod Irish, and I thought I was like, I think I know how those guys in the B-17s felt. I know Germany. You know, this is bullshit. And then, as soon as we came off, the Dynacore guy, the Dynacor guys, might hit. He got hit. They got fucking hit, but that thing held. It was like a ten. And the Rhino was a like a bus that we would take state department people that were going home 
to the airport at BIOP. And um, we basically violated every rule of security that you're not supposed to violate. We were time and place predictable because we'd leave at the same time and come back at the same time. Nine. No, it was, it was no, it was six it was runs. Three runs six, a day. It was six three, runs. Six, once up and back. So six yep. times. Uh, so same place, same times. We were slow. We had yeah. no way to shoot out of those fucking things. So we got hit. It was just dismount and then go attack if we survived. And and it was, I remember when I told you guys we were doing it, I was like, guys, I don't know if we're going to live through this, but fuck it. Let's it do it. Sucks. Let's, let's go. <laughs> And big good. army, they would assign big army to us. And occasionally you get an infantry, an infantry group. So we get your bump. They were good. They and were then occasionally good. you got these clerks yeah. with M16A2 <laughs> that are scared out of their minds. And, and we were, they, we were the comic effect. <laughs> like, guys, like, guys, you guys got to calm down. You got to wait for us, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You realize the perimeter only works when you have a perimeter, right? So <laughs> I, I know we're getting, well, um, no, the, the Minnesota National Guard guys, those infantry guys, there were a lot of those former, they were good, they were good, yeah, they were, but, but but yeah, you're right. That I can't remember the clerk group, yeah, I remember that running. Like, I, I remember talking to Joe and I'm calling you, like, hey, they're running, like, well, fuck it, we can't catch them, dude. We're in these damn <laughs> yeah. armored buses, there's no way, yeah, fuck it, guys. Front two Humvees are gone, dude. It's we're <laughs> we're we're on front right now, but roger that. It's like, good luck, pray, I pray for you, pray for you, man, it'll be all right, uh, but. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> uh, do a little, just uh, it, it ended up here for me. And if Ian has anything, he'll he'll ask you here in a second. Uh, I killed this fly. Um, I you're with IWI, which that's an Israeli run security. For, is, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't you guys owned by by uh, Israel? Israel. Israel? Yeah. So it's Israel Weapon Industries. So if you remember the maker of the Uzi, that was IMI. Yep. Uh, in that 2005 IWI split off it became uh so when it was imi the government in israel had some say over the company um it privatized completely in 2005 take the m turn it upside down that's why it's i oh i didn't know that's what i was gonna ask you why is it iwi what the hell I, yeah. I, I, israel military industries israel weapon industries so yeah that's gotcha. my that's my gang that's side. your website that's your west that's your west side man west, <laughs> that's is west it side. just is it just a coincidence that you're again with an israeli group of individuals just totally was it just coincidence so, man? you're gonna love this it, remember uh became blackwater then it became academy then, yeah yeah um, yep then uh they got bought out uh by another constellus constellus group yeah or teaching with triple canopy i changed yeah. my shirt every day it was crazy <laughs> well, IWI approaches IWI or uh, IWI approaches Academy and says, hey, we want to run a Tavor training course, but we just want to do it through you. We want to sub it out to you. Who knows how to run one? Who's the freak with the freaking foreign weapons knowledge and already had a Tavor? This guy. So I'd already been running one for six or eight months and I was running it all the time. And I was I would buy a gun. I buy like a scar or something like that. I'd run it because I knew guys were coming through with it. And I wanted to know it. And then if I didn't like it, I just get rid of it. Right. So I'd be like, yeah, whatever. It's gone. Right. The scar went away. So I bought it to bore and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run it into the ground and I'll see how it works. And I'll get rid of it. I didn't, I kept it. It actually was pretty awesome. I loved it. Um, and then they showed up a bunch of Israelis and I didn't realize at the time what was happening, but a bunch of Israelis, these guys are part of their special units over there. And I can't teach them ITAR, right? So, but I can yeah. demonstrate like drills. That's okay. That's legal. So I would demonstrate drills and this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I do it. 
Uh, and then one of them wanted to compete against me and I outshot him a little bit. So it worked out and they go, this, this is who we want teaching it, you know, set up the program. So I had to write up the curriculum and the oh. instructor guide, the whole thing. And we started teaching uh, the Tabor at Academy, right? Yeah. We did a couple classes and then eventually they said, Hey, our law enforcement guy is coming out of law enforcement. He's going to be the boss. Would you like to take the law enforcement slot and also run an Academy? So it was two, two jobs. And they also, we also want you to work in product development. There was three jobs total. I said, work around guns all day, teach, you know, sales thing was something I was going to learn because that's, I'm, I'm an honest guy, right? So you want, I'm still an honest guy. And I still well, you, you had your Jedi training when you're with the police department. So you're good. You're got, you're, you're good. These are the weapons you're looking for. You want to buy a hundred. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so. I ended up working for uh, IWI and I started the Academy and uh, we, we changed the model over the years, but uh, currently like last year we ran 17 classes um, and next year we're doing 22. And wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. I was going to give up the law enforcement thing. So the, uh, I'm not, apparently I'm going to stay in that role for another year, um, but there's other people helping me with it. So it's not just Tom doing it. It's, it's others that are going to jump in. Um, but I, I got to, when I, when I, when I got to expand the Academy, they're like, Tom, go, go crazy. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to teach other stuff, not just a bullpup. So I I'm going back to teaching M4, which is like riding a bike, right? Sure. Um, teaching home defense courses. Cause we have a shoot house up in, uh, you know, um, in Ohio. So I can shoot at night. I can shoot in the house. Um, I'm getting back into teaching law enforcement again. So I'm going to some of the conferences, but I'm actually going to instruct there. Um, oh, great, man. And I get to get back into, you know, I taught it for 17 years. One of the things I taught at uh, BW. Yeah. Was DDM it. stuff. Yeah. So I get to actually get back into teaching uh, long range rifle sniper stuff um, and then precision rifles for civilians because that's a big thing now. So, um, but yeah, I get to do all that. Um, but I get to create the courses. I create the curriculum, the instructor guide, PowerPoints, everything and deliver it. Uh, and then I have other instructors that work with me. So I have some, a guy in Texas. I have another guy in Maryland. They're both Israelis, um, both work in special units. Um, and uh, I have another guy, uh, he's a colonel um, who works out uh, in, uh, in uh, Utah, but he's going to help start teaching for me out in Colorado. Sh uh, sharp guy, um, Randy Watt. Yeah, I don't know if you know him. Or not. I, I don't. I mean, this, honestly, that sounds like my first army recruiter, but it, it's not. He wasn't an SF guy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah they actually get, but he's he just an a, army. He a colonel in SF. He was one of the guys that wrote, uh, I want to say Saf the Sephardic program. No, Sephardic program. Sephardic? No. You don't write the Sephardic Maybe program. that's where, yeah, that's, and that's, you know, I, I think they're still using, that's a great course, man. Yeah. yeah. That's a special forces. Uh, he's a guy who's uh, one of the guys leadership wise, like, I should be, I, I, this guy's awesome. We get along real well, obviously. And, and, uh, but talk about leadership. I, I go out and I teach with him at a gun site because I teach out at Arizona at gun site once in a while. And, um, I, I get, I'm doing something. I turn around and he's putting targets up for me. I got this lieutenant or this colonel. He's a full bird colonel, special forces colonel. He used to be in charge of ninjas, right? He's out there pacing up targets. Tom, what do you need? I'm like, uh, colonel, I'm good. You know, like well, the, waste, I'll take care of some stuff, right? I, I, which you don't want to waste time, man. It's wasted time standing around. That's I'm gonna say. No, like, I'm up. You gotta go and put targets up. We're wasting time. Let's get these targets up. I don't need a yeah, but to do. Let's get this shit done. 
he 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 works his ass off and cool. he's you know he's the guy you would think you know i should probably be doing this for him but he doesn't think that way he's just a team player i love him that's great great that's great good communicator good with students so, that's great yeah it's awesome it's good to see that right wow uh, but yeah surround myself with brilliant people i got a new zealander who's teaching with me kiwi He's pretty man, man. I didn't realize IWR was so big. Uh, well, I, I know that we're you know we we kept you a little long, bro. Ian, we always do that. <laughs> I know we always go, we always go like 15, 20 Chris minutes. Chris always say we're gonna go about an hour. Well, I, I, I want, don't, but, don't even lie, we're gonna go on. Well, I don't want to Unless say the interview's just if, not if, great. You know, if I say an hour and 15 minutes, then we're gonna go an hour and 30. So I keep it at an yeah. hour, then I know, okay, well, I know we're gonna go fit. It's always a little bit longer, but bro, I, I really it's great talking to you again and I'm glad that I swear to God, I called you from my Kansas number when I was in California. Don't but worry about I it. I will, but I will. If we don't have that instant replay like that commercial, we could go back for the flag. And but it, regardless, you got it now. And um, I no, I, I, and for you know, battle line, I know this spring we will get you out, uh, get you out here, and, and I'll see if I can. Run scoop up some uh something from iwi that you might want to try i would well if, I, if you're coming out we're you're we're bringing some fucking israeli weapons out man because we don't get that out here we of course you got something better than the saw dude oh i love it i I love it and um but brother it's it's an honor to talk to you and, and you're always been a really good friend man so i i do appreciate always been a good friend of me too and i and it's are you going to be in uh a shot show at all no no i, I will and, i'll and, be there in well i just i i it's oh, no. it's it's just, it's still tough. I still got a young, young boy. I, he's, he's eight and my daughter's, I just like being home. I, I always think, yeah, I'm going to go. And then like, nah, I, I just want to be home. So. And you go for me. Cause I, I'm, I'm good. I, I know. <laughs> so you've been to it enough to like, are you serious? Do you really feel like you need to go? You've been there just as many fucking times as I have. And you know how much of a, none. yeah. So it, just, it, 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 but the only reason is it's, it's good just to catch up. You know, I, I kind of feel you, You've done a lot of stuff in your life, Chris. I get it. Um, you've been through a lot. And uh, and I, I think it's sometimes you just need to sit down with somebody who doesn't want something from you and just talk to you. Well, like last that, last time we were at Shaw Show, that's the last that's, thing. That's I all did. I wanted. I didn't mean you sat down and had dinner. That was the last thing I did before I left. Yeah. I don't want photos. I don't care about any of that crap. I just want to sit down and talk with a buddy of mine that I haven't seen in a while. That's that's the way I look at it, man. I just. Well, I bet miss, if you, if I you miss want to feed I would feel awkward if you wanted to sit with a photo with me, dude. I, I would, that would make me feel, I'd probably make fun of your ass. You're like, let's get a photo. Like motherfucker. No. You're going to be goofy as shit. <laughs> I won't, when don't. am I not making, I'm just not as goofy because experience has taught me okay. to not be as goofy as I used to be. But, <laughs> but uh, no, we, we had a good yin and yang going. He was the calm guy, calm. Like, Hey, and I was the one that was fucking just, Tom, come on, dude. Let's go. Let's go. It, you were it fine. It, it worked. It worked. It nah, worked. it worked really well. We were worked. We well with each other. Yeah, we did. No we doubt did. about it. Well, I miss I, it. I miss the guys. I did too. I did too, but we're too old and fat to be doing that shit anymore. So let's just do what we're doing. Maybe we're wise. I don't know. <laughs> Our wise. Yeah. Uh, good, Ian, man. I'm no, sorry, that's bro. it. I was just going to say, if you want to follow Tom on Instagram, it's at Thomas Alabrando. Uh, and we'll have that up. And then anything you want to promote of IWI? I didn't write any of that down, but anywhere that you want to promote for people to check it out. Uh, I think I'm supposed to promote something because I work for the company, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any you open class? The website, open, social media, open yeah, role, classes, like, anything? Yeah, any no, we, we, yeah, IWI open? Academy. If they go on there, they'll see that. If you go on the IWI website, you'll see all the uh, different offerings we have from 
rifles and pistols and the, you can't buy the belt feds or the grenade launchers. I'm sorry. That's uh that's kind of a different thing. Yeah, I think if anybody that follows guns, uh yeah, even if your name is Larry Vickers and you were dealt, you can't buy shit like this. It's you you gotta have it's, you gotta be legal, guys. It's gotta stay legal above board. Yeah, I feel bad for him. Um, I, yeah, I, I do too. Because he is a, he is he was a legend from the old days, dude. It's just like God, are you kidding me? How did you make that? If anybody would not have made that decision, I would I wouldn't have put money on that at all. I would make a decision like that. He is probably one of the. I know. I mean, I know Larry. He is probably one of the. When it comes to weaponry and history of all that stuff, he's probably one of the most brilliant. Yeah. I know with that. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's he's I he he made a mistake and he's admitted it. He's like, yeah. Yeah. this up a little bit but he's uh you know all in all though he's done some incredible things and I, I don't think you can ever take that away from him um so we'll see how this all ends up but he's he is one of the the, the smarter guys out there when it comes to that stuff though he's you he, he can't take that away no uh, well wherever you guys are listening or watching um be sure to subscribe be sure to leave us a review on apple podcasts we are really Honestly, we have slipped completely on the rankings on Apple Podcasts. So we need your reviews. Without those reviews, new people don't discover the show. So if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, We'll get out. We'll teach together, Chris. That's the main thing. Yeah, Hang yeah out. buddy. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, brother. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.